anyways, let's, uh, let's jump into the word this morning. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and just to forgive us. And then what? Cleanse us from all wickedness. So everything that's inside of you that wants to do what's wrong, what's not good, but it's opposite of what God does. When you confess, when you actually verbally express or, or express to God where you are at, where you stand before him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us. Isn't it so good to know that you are forgiven? When you do something wrong, if you apologize to someone, what's the best thing that they can say to you? No, that's the worst thing they can say to you. I'm not the worst thing. The worst thing they could do is to just do nothing. You're forgiven. Now, we don't apologize to get forgiven, but when we come to God, he always, he is faithful and just to always forgive us. And I love that he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't say, okay, just, you're forgiven, now just go and go and do it again. You know, or it's not, uh, you're forgiven, now go and make up for it. Go and, and do this and go and do that. Go and, 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 and pray ten times or go and do a good deed for somebody. He doesn't say, okay, uh, you're faithful, you're just, you're forgiven, now go, blah, 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 blah. No, he says, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and then cleanse us. Makes us clean, makes us whole again. It's like taking a dirty dish pan and saying, okay, I recognize that I cooked bacon in you and you're dirty. I need you to clean. And so you put it in the sink and say, you recognize, you admit, yeah, it's dirty. It doesn't just leave us that way. He says, no, he makes us clean. He puts us in the dishwater and he scrubs us around and he makes us clean. Now, sometimes that hurts a little bit or it gets a little bit uncomfortable because it means that there's things in our life that begin to change. There's things in our behaviors that have to change. There's boundaries that we need to put up. They're going to change, and they're going to change how we live our lives. But if it's the part of the process of him cleansing us from the wickedness or the unrighteousness that lives with inside of us. And it's the best story that we could ever tell to anyone in the world is to say, hey, I recognize this is where you are. I recognize that God can take you from where you are and he can put you where he needs you to be. And he can make you into the person that he's desired and destined for you to become. I love Galatians 2.20. It says that I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. That means that even though God doesn't, he takes me as I am and he wants me to become like this and he wants to make me a better person. He wants me to make a better father. He wants to make me a better parent, a better husband. Father and parent are the same thing. He wants me to make me a better this or that. I recognize today that it's not in my own strength. I don't have to just try to improve my life and I'm just going to try better next time. No, we actually, God actually gives us something. He actually gives us his son to live inside of us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And that means that the Holy Spirit actually comes inside of us. When we actually repent and we actually believe who Jesus is, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived and he died and he was raised again for our sins. When we admit that we need him, he comes alive inside of us and he changes us and he never lets us be the person we were before. Sometimes we give ourselves permission to go back. We get that tap on the shoulder and says, hey, remember how good you felt when you did that or how good it felt when you did this or that or when you went there? And you remember that. You remember that. And, and it 
we make the decision to go back sometimes. And yet, what does God do when we turn to him? He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the best story that you could ever tell anybody your entire life. It's the best story you could ever live out on your own. And when Jesus comes to live inside of us, the spirit produces inside of us what rules never could. We can put every rule in the book and yet we can still have the inner desire in our hearts to not follow those rules. But when the spirit comes and lives inside of us, he gives us a list of characteristics that help transform and help change us to be the people God has called us to be. This is an exciting time for our church. It's an exciting time for this series. It's not a mistake that we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit here and now this winter season. And we've been working through some long-term plans for our church. And I know that God has some big plans for us. That uh, the people that you see in this room are not going to be the same people that you see in this room in hopefully the days, weeks, months, and especially the years to come. Uh, there's, there's lots of other people that God wants to reach in our community. There's lots of people that God wants to reach in our area. And so the people that you see in this room, hopefully a year from now, it'll look a little bit different than it does now. But we'll never get there. We'll never be able to do those things unless we trust God to first do a work in us. Unless we allow God to do a work in our own personal hearts. Unless we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to shape us into the people that God has desired and destined us to be. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is more concerned, it tells us that God is more concerned with who we are as opposed to what we do. What we do matters, but we know that God is more concerned with who we are rather than what we do. Because how many know you can fake it till you make it? How many have ever had to do that before? Only two of you. Man, thanks for your honesty today. I'm doing it right now. No, I'm just kidding. You know, there's something to be said about, uh, there, there is some value in it. Now, I would suggest that you learn, you do research, and you learn how to, I mean, uh, you want, to, when, you, when you come to a professional, you want them to know that they know what they're doing. Um, but there is value in, in so for, for, I use this example. You want to learn how to worship God. You don't understand it. You don't maybe aren't comfortable with it. But what do we do when we worship God? Sometimes we close our eyes. Sometimes we sing a song. Sometimes we lift our hands. Maybe it's not something I'm comfortable with or used to, but you know what, God, I really want to get closer to you, so I don't understand. I'm just going to do it. And as you do it, you begin to understand why you're doing it. Uh, it's the same thing with, with maybe serving in, in, a, in an area of ministry. You go, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm going, to, I'm going to try it out. And as you begin to do, you begin to learn as you begin to grow. Now, there's value in, in on-the-job training. Uh, there's value in apprenticeship. Anyone ever had someone that has helped you along your way in your job before? Probably all of us at some point, I would say. They've helped us. They've taught us. They've trained us. We watched YouTube videos. You know, we learned, learned from YouTube now. You could, you, could, you could learn to do anything on the internet nowadays. You could probably learn to build a nuclear bomb if you really wanted to. This is being recorded. I shouldn't say things like that for the website. But I'm just saying, you could learn to do anything. But God doesn't want us to fake it. He was more concerned with who we are rather than what we do. Because what we do will be a reflection of who we are. And the good things of God that live inside of us will flow out of us. And those good things are found in Galatians 5, to 23. And would someone like to read that for us again this week? Maybe someone that doesn't have a new international version translation. Maybe we get something different. Judy, go for it. Gentleness, self 
So in the NIV, it takes out the word patience and puts in the word forbearance, whereas the ESV, as Judy read, actually puts in the word patience. And that's where we're at today. The last few weeks we did love, we did joy, we did peace, and now we finally get to our favorite one, patience. Now this doesn't stay here because it'll fall over, but patience. Um, How many here have patience? How many here are really patient people? All right, do you want to come preach this morning? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone at all? You can even read my notes if you want. Because this is a message that I need to hear. Um, I, I shared yesterday how difficult yesterday was, and, and you know, so you know, we're, we're, we got sort of things settled. Elizabeth and I were talking, and you know, it's one of those moments. He's like, I should have saw. I should have seen this coming. I should have known that this was coming down the pipe. I should have known better. Um, Because I believe in how big our God is. I believe in how great our God is. But I also believe that we have an enemy that tempts us, that taunts us, that distracts us, that uh, just throws curveballs our way. And we need to be aware in in our game sometimes. And when we get tired, we get worn down, or we get distracted, that's usually the opportunity where, where the enemy takes a hold of an opportunity. Um, so here, here's what I'm going to say to you today. Uh, all that to say is if you start to pray and ask God for patience, guess what's getting tested tomorrow morning? Patience. <laughs> guess what's getting tested tomorrow morning? Your patience. God, help me be more patient with my kids. What are they going to do when they wake up in the morning? They're going to start getting into the Play-Doh, the paint, the, the fridge, the dishwasher, the whatever, the toilet, whatever. You just fill in the blank. You could, you could do everything you want in the way, and, and maybe you could put everything away and lock everything up and they're still going to find a way to test your patience. If we walk by the spirit of God, we'll not desire or gratify the desires of our flesh. Yeah. When I lose my patience, what do I feel like doing? Get in the car! Get in the car! Come on, get your boots on! Get your boots on! Let's go! You know. Football coach. Hockey coach. How many have seen a hockey coach lose it on a ref? No, 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 not coach. How many have seen the parents? <laughs> not exercising a, a whole lot of patience there. That's what you feel like you want to do, though. Maybe, maybe you're not as Italian or expressive as I am, and maybe you just get quiet. Now, those are the people that I worry about. The ones when they get impatient and they get quiet. And you go, what's going to happen? I don't know. I know what I do when I'm impatient. And at least, you know, I know, but I don't know what you're going to do. When the spirit of God comes alive in us. When we can see it coming, when we know it's coming down the pipe and we can prepare for it, we can learn ways to sort of counteract our, our natural responses. We remember who we are in Christ. Remember, I am God's child. I'm loved by him. I remember that he's alive in me. And then I think, okay, if that's true, then how should my actions reflect what God, is, what God would do in this situation? And most of the times in the heat of the moment, I don't want to ask those questions. I don't want to ask those questions. I just, I like to skip ahead and just go to what I feel because what I feel feels good in the moment, but it never, it never leads to the the path of goodness. It never leads to peace. It never leads to resolve. It just makes everyone more angry, makes everyone more upset. 
The National Executives Association had discovered something interesting. They discovered that 48% of all salespeople, uh, that they, when they make a call, they give up after the first call on the prospective buyer. 48% give up after one call. Aren't, don't you wish that that was the telemarketer that called you? Yeah. <laughs> one call. 25% quit after the second call. 12% called three times and then quit. But 10% kept calling until they succeeded. For 80% of all new sales, they were made after the fifth call for the same project and the same person and the same prospect. Imagine that telemarketer calling you five times to get you to say yes. I just blocked the number at that point. But uh, I, I have a really good story I could tell you about um, a heating duct cleaning service. Uh, the quick story is this. He called my house three, four times. And finally, I said, um, I, yeah, I'm good. I, I already, my, my ducks clean themselves. And he's like, you have self-cleaning ducks? I said, you bet I do. And he said, uh, tell me about this. I said, well, we got a pond out back and the ducks clean themselves in the pond. And he just paused and he just couldn't believe that I, what I just said. And he was, he was so confused and I was so hilarious and it felt so good. But 48% give up after the first call. There's some value in waiting. There's value in patience. Success takes time, and it seldom comes quickly with God. <laughs> Success seldom comes quickly with God. Winning the war might mean losing a battle. Patience, not rash behavior or reaction, is repels you towards winning. You know, this may not be my season now, but you just wait till next year. You just wait till the next month. You just wait till the next draft pick. And I'm going to be ready. Maybe I have failed in the steps. And in the fail, you know, we, we, missed, we misuse failures way, the wrong way, way too often. Uh, failure really should be our opportunity for improvement. Uh, if we don't learn how to fail properly, especially when we're young, uh, if we don't learn how to recover from failure, which a lot of my generation does not know how to do, we've been given the participation ribbons, the badges, and, you know, the good job, and it's a hard time to, to recover from failure. But it happens. I mean, if I were to ask you to put your hand up, we've all probably failed in some way, shape, or form in our life. And we have to choose what we do with our failure. Because patience, patience is a hard thing to come by. Winning might take time. Winning the war means losing a battle or two. Patience, not rash behavior or reaction, is what propels you forward to winning. You know, God's people have faced severe cases, severe cases of learning patience. Uh, think of Abraham. Okay, he's told to leave his father's home and, and go and wander the desert. When he's 75 years old, I don't think anyone in this room is 75 today. Well, Glory's here. We're, we love Glory so much. Abraham's 75 years old before God finally tells him, you're going to have a son. You're going to have incredible amounts of descendants. They're going to measure the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And he's 75 years old. It was another 25 years before Isaac was actually born. 100 years old. I think his wife was 90. She was in her 90s and told she's going to have a son. She laughed. 
I don't think I have the energy at 31 for the kids that I have. Imagine being 99 or 100. Man, goodness. Moses, he's a shepherd for 40 years. He wanders in the desert before God uses him to go release the Israelites from bondage in Egypt. 40 years he had to wait. And then he got so used to the desert, he loved it so much that he led the Israelites in the desert for another 40 years. He guy must have liked a lot of sand. If you're fighting the war, just wait. Work and watch for God to move. Be ready and be patient. God is with you. Don't be afraid to exercise. Don't be afraid to to get ready, but be patient because God is at work. He's fighting the battle. He's winning the war. And sometimes we need to sit back and wait. Not sit back and relax, but sit back and wait and continuously work. Keep our head down. Keep pushing forward. Patience is a God-exercised or God-given restraint in the face of opposition or oppression. We all face different kinds of opposition in our life. Uh, Whether it's a health challenge, a family challenge, a relationship challenge, a work challenge, a physical challenge in front of us, mental health challenge, you can fill in the blank to whatever you need it to. But we are always going to have some sort of opposition in our life. There's always going to be something that's going to test our patience and come against us. Patience is a God exercised or God-given restraint level, God-given restraint in the face of opposition. Patience is an active characteristic of God. It's not passively sitting back and relaxing in the way that Pastor Gary likes to do with, you know, Netflix on or, or something like that, just whatever, giving no response. Patience is an active experience. It doesn't mean dwelling on the situation. It just means working hard, pushing through and waiting on God. In the Old Testament, patience is simply sort of expressed in the fact that God was slow to anger. God is slow to anger. This trait and definition carries forward in the New Testament when, when God is, basically defines the word patience as long-suffering. Now, that's not really a word that we use today, but you could just flip it around and say suffering long. How long do I have to wait? How long is this going to take? How many have said that? How long, how, you bring your car into the shop. Well, how long is this going to take and how much is that going to cost me? Patience is long suffering. It's a characteristic of God, and we're thankful for this one, when dealing with us as sinful people. God is patient with Pastor Gary. God is patient with sinful people. He's patient in incidents We know that God hates sin. We know that God has a wrath that wants to come out and deal with sin. But look at the first murderer in the Bible. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 15. And God places a mark on Cain, the first person who ever murdered somebody ever. And he put a mark on him so that others would not harm him or take revenge on him. Wow. God is slow to anger. We see God provide a rainbow as a sign to the world when the flood happened. Here here is an incredible generation. The entire generation minus one family has turned their back on God. The entire generation. And God is extremely patient with them. And even though it's a terrible situation, God still provides hope for the world. God still provides providence for the world. 
Keep reading the Old Testament. We see time and time again how God was slow to anger in, in giving his wrath towards his own chosen people, the Israelites. He redeemed them from bondage again and again and again. He was patient with them. God was patient with the people of Nineveh when they turned and repented. It drove Jonah crazy. You know, he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to tell people about how good God was and to repent of their sins, that God was going to destroy them. And, and so he finally, you know, crazy circumstance events. You can read the book of Jonah later and find out what happens. Give you a hint. He gets swallowed by a giant fish. Uh, best fishing story ever in the Bible. One of the best. Runs to Nineveh, tells the people what God told him to say very reluctantly. And then the people all of a sudden begin to repent and they start to live in fear and God withholds his anger and wrath from them. And it drives him crazy. Because at least God, at least if I'm going to go there, I'm going to see some people get killed. I'm like, I'm going to go watch that action. We're going to go see people get slaughtered. Like we watch 300 or something like that. He's like, at least I get to watch this and then it doesn't happen. Very just sort of crazy story. God is a patient God. Proverbs 14, 29 says this. It says, whoever is patient has great understanding but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Whoever is patient has great understanding. Psalms 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Do not worry. If someone else is doing something they shouldn't, if someone else is taunting you, hurting you, be patient with them. Wait patiently on the Lord. God's patience is like a truce between us and God. His patience is an opportunity given for repentance. Remember that the next time you ask yourself why God would let someone get away with it. The next time a murderer never gets caught or it seems like an unfair sentence, when the thief just gets a slap on the wrist or fill in the blank, why would God allow that to happen? Remember that God's patience is an opportunity for repentance. You know, he's been faithful, he's been patient, he's been just with us. And some of us are thankful for the fact that he waited for us. You know, uh, maybe you're in a car accident and you're the only one that survives. Why? God is extending patience towards you. He's giving you an opportunity for repentance. Why is God patient with the sinner? Why does God, well, one he, simple fact is he loves us. He wants us to be a part of his family. He desires us to live with him in his house. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that he is patient towards you, not wishing that you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance is a simple concept. I'm going this way, and I'm turning and going this way. I'm turning from the lower things of this world. You guys are the low things of this world today. And I'm turning to the higher things of God. That's all it is. It's a simple concept. This is the way I'm going. God's impatient with me, and I'm turning towards the things of God. God's just waiting for me to take that turn. God's waiting for me to take that step. He is patient with me. Stress goes up. Patience goes down. Waiting on God is all we can do in many situations. When we lose patience, it's because we feel like we're losing control. What happens when you lose control of our cars? What's the natural reaction? Someone want to do the scream for me today? I knew I could count on you, Corey. Uh, 
we start losing control. When we start losing control, we start losing our patience. Situation doesn't go the way we plan. The child doesn't behave the way that you need them to or want them to or think that they should. It doesn't, they don't do what they're instructed to do. What's our natural response to do? When did I tell you to do that? Now. And you didn't do it. I feel like I'm losing control. You're not listening to me. This isn't going the way that we planned. What is happening? I'm losing control. Patience means putting up with people who mistreat us as well as being gentle with people who are different than us. Male, female, young, old, culturally different, personality difference, the list goes on and on and on and on. If you have never been in conflict with somebody or lost control of a situation, uh, I don't think you're human. In which case, that kind of freaks me out a little bit this morning. But the fact of the matter is, is when we start losing control, we lose our patience because we feel like we're losing control. Patience helps us learn together to forgive one another when we make mistakes, helps us to refrain from being critical of one another. It is sometimes suffering long in view of the fact that Jesus is coming again and we're still waiting and waiting and waiting for that triumphal return. It's patience. When will this troubled earth come to an end? When will you do a work? When will you do something, God, that changes this situation, that changes the world? When will it happen? We're waiting and waiting. We're suffering long. Patience takes courage. Patience takes courage. If you're a patient person, I honor you today. But think about the last time you asked your kids to do something, and you probably words, I said it already, I want this done now. Unfortunately, the reality is there's only one way to experience patience, at least the testing of your patience. And that's to experience adversity. That's to experience challenge. That's to experience opposition. The one way to experience whether or not you have patience, if you want to know, you want to know how good you are at anything, you take a test, Right? Am, I good, am I good enough to get a license from the government of Ontario? I have to do a driver's test. I have to write a test, do two driver's tests, spaced out over what, three, four years, something crazy like that. I have to pass the test. If I want to know if I'm patient or not, I have to face opposition. I have to face an opportunity that's going to test my patience. Patience is learned through hardships and hard work. Pastor Gary, that's not what I want to hear this morning. I want to hear that when God comes and lives inside of me, everything is easy. Everything is peachy. Everything goes really well. And you give me power and it's so easy to overcome all of these obstacles. Yada, 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 yada. Patience is learned through hardships and hard work. Let's talk about love. Let's talk about peace. Let's talk about joy. Those things make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Don't tell me it's going to be work and hard and difficult. We don't get to choose which of this list we are. It's not one or the other. It's not one and. It's all of the above. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit. One singular phrase. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Good, I'm good. I got all those. Did anyone catch that? I missed one. Patience requires courage because it comes about by situations in our life that make us impatient. 
the two Greek words they, that, that sort of they, they put together this word patience for us uh, used here in, the, in this passage written by Paul in Galatians. Uh, it means like the movement of air and water gradually that come to be. Used to describe anger. Uh, it's a movement, a violent movement, a welling up, uh, a blowing up, a boiling up. Think of a volcano. What happens in a volcano? There's a, there's a seismic shift that takes place. I'm not a volcano expert, but from what I know. Um, some friends of mine live in the Philippines. They work at a, at a home for teenage boys, and they had a volcano go off in the Philippines, if you've been following. I'm sure you guys know very well. And so, and it was, you know, they were within a certain range. They were fine, but their, their whole, their whole um, school and site that they live and work at was covered in ash. What happens in a volcano? So there's the seismic shift, and, and all of a sudden this pressure starts to build and build and build, and finally what happens? It blows up, and all this ash starts to shoot out of the top of the volcano. And that's not even the final stage. That's like just still part of the process of blowing up. And then, you know, there's sort of a, a calm before the storm, and, and the pressure continues to build, and all of a sudden that lava just shoots straight out. You know, rocks, lava, all this stuff. And it's, you know, an incredible... I think it's an incredible thing to see, not to be close to, obviously. But it, an incredible, just natural process. The word, one of the words that help describe what patience is, or the lack of it, rather, is this building up, this pressure, this blowing up. A person who takes a long time to boil up, well up, and blow up. In other words, not necessarily a quick, fused person. It's process, it's time. On several occasions, another word found in the New Testament used interchangeably on several occasions it is described by a person who remains under. By a person who remains under. What does that mean? Uh, we're praying for God to do something in your life, maybe carry a load off your back, strength to carry the load, to remain under that pressure. When I hear those definitions, I think of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in that 1040 window, which is, which is the latitude lines across our globe. And, and on either side of the equator, the 1040 window is the, the most heavily persecuted uh, area where the, where the church is most heavily persecuted. I said that really weird. But think of the amount of pressure that they live under in their faith. They're not allowed to publicly declare that Jesus is Lord. They're not publicly allowed to declare their faith in God. And you live under this immense pressure. Just imagine living in communist China, living under a warlord in North Africa or under Sharia law in the Middle East. Living under means meaning remaining under pressure. It means operating under pressure and not blowing up. Um, I was in a recording arts class years ago. And we had this expression, there's a, there's a term in audio engineering called compression. We don't have to go into the mechanics of it. But we used to, we, when it was like a highly compressed thing, we'd say, let's compress the kick drum like ham under glass. It was just this really weird. So the image you have is a piece of ham, like a ham steak, on the table, and a piece of like plexiglass. And you just like see that you squish it, and you just see all the juices come out. It's just a really weird illustration. But it's, it's under pressure. You know, that's, that's what comes to mind. It's, and it's operating, it's still being, it's still remaining even under pressure. And that's the word that helps describe what patience is. It's living the life that God calls me to live. It's being the person who God is making, to me, making me to be while living under pressure. While living with opposition, while living with hardships, while living with challenges. It's living and remaining under pressure. 
Whether you are loving and a joyful and peaceful, somehow patience slides into that growing development of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We don't get to choose which characteristic we want or don't want. If we are truly living the way that God has called us to live, if Christ has truly come alive inside of us, then he is at work in us, helping us live under pressure. He's helping us live with the burdens that are before us. What happens when you run out of patience? We start to take shortcuts. When we're under pressure, got to, that timeline is done. What do we do? We start to take a shortcut. What happens when you take a shortcut? Uh, just look at HGTV and you watch someone like Mike Holmes. He goes into all these places and all these buildings, all these people that took shortcuts. And he has to, what his trademark slogan is, make it right. He's got to go back. He's got to destroy. He's got to fix. It never gets you ahead. It's only a temporary victory. You may have won the battle, but that's going to guarantee you're losing the war. Patience is sometimes losing the battle, but winning the war. Patience takes time. It's suffering long. It's living and remaining under pressure. When we run out of patience, we start to give up. That first phone call, no, it didn't go my way, I give up. When we run out of patience, we give up too soon. We focus too much on what we can do now and not what we can do tomorrow. You know, there's an expression, I can't remember who said it, I've heard it about 100 times this last year. It says, we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year. Overestimate what we can accomplish in one year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in 10. You know, we, we set out this plan, we set out this goal, whatever it is, fill in the blank, and we, we get some opposition, and we go, oh, I can't do that. I thought I could. I thought I could do all these things, I just can't. And we don't plan for the future. We don't plan that 10-year mark. But if we would have taken steps and strategy and played the long game, then we would know, okay, this is doable. This is attainable. I just have to work hard. I have to remain under. I got to work under the pressure. We can do this. We focus too much on what we can do and not who we, will, who we are. We will never do what God has called us to do. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Patience is maintaining hope and not giving into the despair. Patience is maintaining hope and not giving into despair. As we close this morning, I want to read another book from another letter from Paul, a part of a letter from Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And I have that open here in the Bible. But these are some words that he shares with the church. That he shares with the Colossians. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and what? Patience so that you will have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. There's a key word in here that I think will give us the, the tool that we need to overcome our moments of impatience. 
The tool keyword in here he gives us, he gives us a clue. How do I suffer long? How do I remain under pressure? How do I handle the burdens that are thrown at me? How do I handle the challenges that are faced before me? And I experienced this last night as Leland and I did the dishes together after the girls went to bed and it was quiet in the house. And by Leland doing the dishes, he was just running around the kitchen and I was doing them. He says... I pray that you're strengthened with power according to the glorious might so you have great endurance and patience. Verse 12 gives us the key. It says, in giving joyful thanks to the Father. In giving joyful thanks to the Father. You know, there's another verse I always forget the reference. I have, really a, lot of, I have a lot of favorite verses I can never find where they are. But it says something like this. For I know in whatever state that I am, I am content. Take a moment in your situation and begin to thank God. You don't have to thank him for the situation you're in, but the moment we begin to pray, it begins to take our eyes off of ourselves and it begins to set our eyes on things above. It begins to set our eyes on the things of God, not on the things of this earth. I recognize today as, as we continue to read this verse, it says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The place that we live is a place of darkness. And yet God has called us to be in the kingdom of light. And we are no longer citizens of this world, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God. When we have made that request, when we have made that prayer of repentance and we have been cleansed from our wickedness and unrighteousness, we become a part of God's family of light. We become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so when we start to face our pressures, whether it's warranted or not, when we start to face that opposition, when we start to lose control over the situation, we can pause and we can begin to give thanks. Maybe you don't know what to give thanks. Maybe there's nothing in your life that you can give thanks for. But you can always give thanks because God is good. If everything is falling apart, at the very least, you could say, thank you, God, that you are God. Thank you, God, that you are there. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. We sang a lot of songs this morning about the things of God. We sing a lot of songs that talk about the characteristics of who God is. Those things will never change because God never changes. And yet he changes so much about us in our situations. The next time you're feeling under pressure, the next time you're feeling impatient, take a moment, take a breath, and begin to give thanks. Begin to understand who you belong to. Begin to understand who you are. Begin to understand that Christ is alive inside of me. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. He has made me new again. Remain under pressure. Push through and give thanks. If you've lost your cool or been unfair in your words, in your actions with someone, take some time and repent. Tell them, apologize for how you treated them, even if it was warranted. That one got a little painful. Ugh. They deserve to be yelled at. They deserve to be hit with my big stick. <laughs> we used to have this in the dorm. We used to know this punishment. 
Repent simply means to turn. Turn away from the lower things of this world to the higher things of God. Ask, if you're you're wondering what to pray for, ask the Holy Spirit to manifest the gift of patience wherever you need it most today. Some of us like feeling angry, though. Some of us like that feeling of impatience. Some of us like just to blow up and let the volcano out. That's not living as children of light. Ask the Holy Spirit to manifest the gift wherever you need it most today and trust that tomorrow it's going to be tested. Is that okay with you? No. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you that you, O God, make a way for us to know your love and experience the goodness of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are patient with us in our impatience. Lord, sometimes we want you to move and we want you to move now. We want you to do what we want you to do. Lord, I've lost control. God, I pray, Lord, that before we ever lose control, we would just give it over to you anyway. But Lord, in those moments where we just know that things aren't going the way we want or the way that we've planned, Lord, would you help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to remain faithful to remain true to the things of God, to maintain true and faithful, Lord, to your fruit of the spirit that lives inside of us. Lord, remind us, Lord, in those moments of weakness, in those moments where we're about to blow up or explode or however we express our impatience, God, I pray that we would remember that we no longer live, but you live within us. I thank you, O God, for the work that has been accomplished. I thank you, O God, that there's always forgiveness. I thank you that you are always faithful and just to cleanse us from our sin and our unrighteousness and our wickedness. Lord, would you give us the courage to face tomorrow? Would you give us the courage and the faith to face the challenges before us? Lord, that we would just keep our head down and we would push forward, O Lord. That we would continue to be the people you've called us to be so that we can be the church that will do and be what you've, do the things, oh God, that you've required us and called us and equipped us to do. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for every person in this building today. Lord, for those who will not hear today, I pray that they would experience your patience or that they would hear and know and they would know about your goodness, oh God. I praise you in your holy name. Amen.